Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Jim Cobray. This, this night, I'm grateful to be with you, and I'm, I'm happy that you came. Uh, we're going to discuss some things over the next couple of weeks that are, I believe, incredibly life-changing. Tonight, I want to set a foundation really for next week so that you understand the premise of where we're going because it's a life-changing message. It's not very often that I come before you and tell you that if you don't understand this, you're going to miss everything. And probably as a church, we won't function as properly as we need to function. And uh, we uh, tonight are starting off in an adventure of really understanding spiritual personal trainers. If I could just have that on the overhead just for a moment. Uh, SPT is, means spiritual personal trainer. And one of the things that God's been doing in my life for the last numerous years is helping me to develop the insight of understanding that when someone gets saved, a personal trainer, they get individual personal trainer at this church. And I really believe that we have been making a mistake in what we've been teaching the people that have just gotten saved. And I'll explain that by the end of next week. I won't explain it to you this week so much. And spiritual personal trainers, I think, just underneath the pastor, are probably one of the most important positions in, a, in an American church that wins souls. Now, in case you don't know this, some of you are brand new. This is, at one time, one of the greatest soul-winning churches, number one soul-winning churches in America. And we would have uh, an altar call and it would be nothing to see hundreds of people saved. In fact, I remember one weekend where we had over 700 people saved that walked down the aisles, came forward, and, and got saved. And I was thrilled with that because God had dealt with me about the word spiritual personal trainer. I remember exactly the spot when God talked to me about uh, you know, spiritual trainers and how it's to work and what was to be done. And um, I wasn't quite sure how to put it together. Then I heard a message. I thought that was the answer to a spiritual personal trainers. But I've been in turmoil for literally years over spiritual personal trainers about them having the right materials and understanding what, how important it is for them to be involved in the new committed believer, supposedly believer, believer's life. And I found myself absolutely frustrated for years and years and years. Let me back you up a little bit. In our old building, we had a building set about 900 people. Some of you may or may not remember that. But we had so many salvations on a weekend that when people came forward, we would take them to what we called an altar worker's room where they got information and they were prayed for and then they were released to go home and they got this information. And we had one door, like if you can picture like one door on one of the sides over here, one small door that they went through. And there were so many people getting saved on a weekend that it would take 20 minutes for people to get out of the sanctuary, go through the door, just to get to the altar worker's room. That's how many people were getting saved. And then, so what we had to do is double the size of the doors. If you look over here to the sides of the doors, you can see two doors. When they both swang open, then people could go out fast and we could dismiss the service. That's how many people had gotten saved. And over the years, we started keeping count. I remember over the years, and we'd keep count on how many people were getting saved 
at the Rock Church and World Outreach Center on a yearly basis. And the best since the time when we started giving an altar call, that God gave me this altar call that was just something that got into the hearts of the people. They saw themselves as where they were at, and they gave their hearts and life to Jesus Christ. At least they, uh, the, I thought they did. And then we made it very clear that if you're going to get saved, we want you to come forward, we want you to give God all your heart, give God all your life. But we found that that's just not the case for a lot of people. For an example, somewhere between 350 and 500,000 people have walked down the aisles of the Rock Church World Outreach Center to get saved. Now stop and think about that. 350, that's three times the size of San Bernardino itself to 500,000, is like four times the size of San Bernardino, the entire city. I remember a time when we were meeting with the, the leaders of Loma Linda, uh, city of Loma Linda, and met with the leaders, and I, I actually announced to them, I said, I, I told you when I first started this church that we would have more people in church than you will have in your city. You know, and I'm thinking, what the heck did I just say? And, there, and then when I met with them later on, years later, we actually had more people in church than the entire number of people that lived in the city of Loma Linda. So there was a great, incredible move of God. But something bothered me on the inside horribly. Like for an example, what would you do if you were the pastor and everybody thought you were wonderful and everybody patted you on the back and thought, you know, you were the greatest thing since, you know, sliced cheese and they just thought you were incredibly amazing, and they talked about you all over the world, but there was something eating at you on the inside. And what was eating at you was, where are these people that came forward? What happened to them? This whole area in front, we now have a, a, a platform here, but the, when this church was designed, it was designed without this platform at all so that we could get all the masses of people that were getting saved up here in front and then take them out through the doors to our, to our workers' room back here, our altar workers' room. And so that's what this church was designed to do. And it was eating at me and, and absolutely uh, touching my heart. And when I wrote the first book about um, fellowship, pastoring in his presence, I, I wrote the first book with the idea in mind that I would give the altar call in the book and teach pastors how to give the altar call, which, by the way, has gone all over the world. I mean, it's just changed churches and doubled the size of churches, and it has changed things. People write me that used to think I was nuts and tell me how blessed they are, and, and it was an amazing experience. But I didn't ever write them back and say, yeah, but where are the people that are getting saved? Because can you imagine if just 25% of the people that got down the aisle, walked down the aisle with tears in their eyes and crying were still in the church, we'd have over 100,000 people in this church. And there was something wrong on the inside of me. So the second book, when I started to write about spiritual personal trainers, I started being, if you will, writing and finding myself in a place where where God was ministering to me. In fact, I'll be really honest, I only told one person about this experience, which was my Deborah. One day she was gone and I was writing and I was talking to God and he was revealing things through scripture, which a lot of which we'll get into next week, more than this week. This week is just a foundation so we can get into next week with some kind of insight and brain power. 
And I told Deborah when she came back, I said to Deborah, I said, I, I had this experience with God. I, I was talking to God. God was talking to me. There was no doubt about it. I'm sitting at the dining room table with my laptop. I push my laptop away from me. I push my Bible and I push my concordance and everything else away. And I stopped studying and I started listening to God. And, and the Spirit of God fell on me like, I don't know, maybe two times in my entire life it was, it was this heavy. And this, when the Spirit of God dropped on me, it dropped me. I, thank God I didn't get down on the floor because I would have a hard time getting up on the floor without Debbie. But it dropped me to the table. And I'm on the table and I'm weeping. I'm weeping so hard and so long that I can't remember how long it was and I can't remember how hard it was. I know that I wept that day with my head on the table crying out to the Lord uh, until there were no more tears left on the inside of me. And it's affected me ever since. And the thing that touched my heart was a story that God reminded me of that was told me 40 years earlier. I want to tell you the story, and then I'll give you the title of our messages, and we'll go ahead into the Word of God. This is a story I had not thought about for 40 years. Let me explain to you. Sometimes you forget things, and then through this experience where the Spirit of God fell on me so deep and so hard and so incredibly passionate that even as I think about it now, I find myself wanting to cry. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And the Spirit of God was on me for such a long period of time. And bang, inside of my heart, he brought this one story that a man told me one time over 40 years ago that I had never thought of once in 40 years. Never thought of it once. Deborah and I were young, and I was maybe 32 years old when we were pastoring in a little church called Lake Arrowhead Christian Fellowship in Lake Arrowhead, California, our first pastorate, really. And um, I'd been involved in a church in Santa Barbara before that called Calvary Chapel of Santa Barbara, but this was the first one that I had been a senior pastor of. And um, when we were up there, someone had mentioned my name to a, a man uh, that asked me if he... Uh, if I could come and minister at his church. I don't know why he did. I think his best friend or biggest giver or something heard about me or liked me or something. For no reason, he just invited me to come. And when I went to minister in his church, which I did after the service that day, you know, I didn't know anybody. I was petrified, to be honest with you. It was the first time I had ever gone out and preached somewhere other than my own church. And I was afraid, I was frightened, and I, I certainly didn't think I did a very good job, but I hoped it was good enough. And I, afterwards, I was waiting for the man to come up and tell me, you know, good job, or I really enjoyed that, but he, he didn't. He came up and he said something to me that I didn't realize was going to deeply change my life and going to deeply change your life. He came up to me and he says, would you like to meet my family? And Deborah and I said, sure. She was polite. I was too. And uh, I was wondering why he was doing this. And 
we had walked over and we met his kids. He had four or five kids. And he had one son that was about 12 years old. And I could tell this son was not a blood son. He was from a different culture than his, his, him and his wife. And he went on afterwards, and I realized that when I met this young boy that about 12 years old that was from a different culture, that there was something different about him. He looked good, he was handsome, he was nice, but when he communicated, his communication was flawed in many areas, and there was just something not normal about this young man. He told me the story of how he had been a missionary out of him and his wife met missionary school, and they had gone off into the mission fields after seminary, and they got married in seminary and then went off in the mission fields together, first time ever anywhere, and ended up, I think it was like a country like northern India or one of those countries in those areas. And, I, I, and he says, there, he says, we would just go visit churches. We didn't really know what to do. And in order to get around, we didn't have a car or anything. We'd have to walk from church to church. And that was our routine during the day. It was our routine during the week. And my wife and I would just start walking. He says some of the areas that we went through were pretty bad. They had giant dump heaps. I don't know if you've ever seen a third world country dump heap or a heap, uh, a trash heap uh, uh, in his city. And they would have to walk through the trash heaps to get to the church, which was on the other side. Um, for those of you that are Americans don't understand this, a trash heap in a third world country could be something like 15, 16, 18 feet high of just trash piled up and then be literally miles long. In some countries, the largest ones in the world are the Philippines and Central um, America, and, and, and they'd be miles long, 15, 18 feet high. And people live on the dump heaps, and they actually built their houses there, and they actually would go through all of the trash, these poor individuals, and they would dig for things of value. They would pull out whatever they could that they thought they might be able to sell and get some value out of it. If anything was good to eat, they would, of course, salvage that to eat, and that would be the way they would live and exist. And as one day, as like any normal day for them, they were walking to a church on the other side of the dump heap when his wife grabbed his arm, he told me, and said, listen. And he listened and he, he didn't hear anything at all. And then he, she said, don't you hear that? And he says, well, you know, I hear birds. I hear, you know, there's a, believe me, on these dump heaps, there's vultures, like vultures fighting for meat and food and things on the dump heaps, along with the people that are in the dump heaps themselves with smells and, 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 and smoke coming up out of the dump heaps. And these people live in these kind of conditions. And she says, he says, well, I hear the birds and the vultures, and I, I see the seagulls coming in, and, and, and I hear that. What do you want me to hear? She says, listen. She says, that's a baby crying. And he says, I don't hear. And then he heard this baby. He says, I hear that. Is you, that's probably some animal. It's probably a cat or a dog or something. It's probably not a baby at all. And, and, and he says that finally we went and we dug through the trash and we found this baby. It was alive. 
And, and his wife picked up the baby and cleaned off the baby's face and took stuff out of its mouth and said to her husband, what do we do with him now? He said, well, let's take him to that doctor that's in town. There's a doctor. Maybe he can do it. And they rushed this baby to this doctor. And the doctor looked at them and said, this is not uncommon for our area that people have children and they don't know how to feed them or take care of them. So they put them on the trash dump and they're, they're, they, they're, they're going to die. He says, most of them that come to us, 90% of them die. And she said, well, what about him? She says, you have to understand that a baby, whatever it touches, puts in its mouth. Some of you have had babies and it's hard to keep things out of the baby's mouth. You put something in its hand, it puts it in its mouth. You get him near a, 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 a table or something, he starts to suck on the table. He's always putting something in his mouth all the time. And that was some instinct inside of this child who would just grab whatever there was. And if he got good food or some kind of food that would sustain him, it would go in his mouth and it would keep him alive for another day. If he got bad things like plastics and, and stuff that was, you know, fermented and poisoned and stuff, it would go down into his system and kill him. And he said, most likely this child is going to die. They stayed with the child. The child did not die. In fact, when their tour of being up in the foreign country, they came back and they brought this child back and they adopted him. And they introduced him to me that day. He was the one that was 12 years old that was a, a, a bit off. I remember my heart. I'm thinking, man, I'm, you know, me, I'm just so selfish and so stupid. Maybe some of you are like me. I'm thinking, guy, man, why are you telling me this story about how wonderful you are and your wife with that baby? I'm just preaching. Did I do good? I'm thinking to myself, you know, like I never talked about whether I was good or not. What a jerk I was. Which, which, don't laugh because you're just a jerk like me. And, and you know it. You think to yourself, it's all about me and it's not about you. And then man told me this story and this baby lived because whatever it was that he took and he put inside of his mouth, he lived long enough for them to find him. The problem with it was is that what he took in as a child had poisoned his mind and poisoned his system that he would never be the same. He would never have the mental capacity as most normal human beings. Years later, I'm talking to God about people who get saved in our church. Where are they, God? What have we done wrong? And I'm, I'm, I'm just broken. I'm, I'm just broken before the Lord. And I, I'm, I'm just crying. I'm saying, God, we tried. We, we did so much. We went after them. We didn't just care about them and just let people pat me on the back for winning souls, you know, being a big soul winner. We actually had a program that went after people. And God told me the story. When God told me the story, he says to me, what an infant puts in his mouth in the beginning determines what his future is going to be like. And all of a sudden, 40 years later, I'm weeping before God because unless the people that give their heart or at least make a commitment to Christ 
are taken and fed properly during the period of time, they're going to end up less than that they could possibly be. And that, my friends, is where we need to go as a church. And I'm so grateful there's so many of you here tonight. I'm going to set a foundation for you to understand the Word of God in a different light. As God was revealing this to me, the tears were flowing out of my, out of my soul. First, I think there was a, 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 a soul that was hurting and asking God to forgive me. I, I was so caught up in me, you know, me being this big soul winner and getting all the adulation from people that I had completely forgotten about doing my job as a pastor, doing it the right way, and I repented, it was repentant, and I'm so sorry. But I have to tell you that when God spoke to me, he gave me such revelation about what to do about people that are making a first-time commitment. And that's where I want to take you the next couple of weeks. This week, I just want to set a foundation of understanding. Is that okay? Next week, I think, I don't know for sure, it was to me one of the most life-moving messages God has ever given me, I think, in my life. And so I'm praying that you'll come back next week. I'm praying that you understand that tonight is just the warm-up for next week's understanding. And that's why I was so grateful that Pastor Dan trusts me that I asked for at least two weeks on this subject because it's just too much to talk about. It's so important that we understand that spiritual trainers can be the health of the future, of the future of those that are born of the Spirit of God. And also, without a spiritual trainer, they fall prey to the world. And that's the sad part of all of this. I want to take you, if I made a mark in the fourth chapter, would you just go there with me? And uh, this mark, the fourth chapter is is literally so powerful. And I, I will go through the fourth chapter with you and explain something. I, I don't know what kind of time I have, but I'm gonna just say this is too important for me to look at the clock too often. I'll try to stay within the perimeters of my time. I wanna start in Mark, the fourth chapter. I wanna read to you something in Mark, the fourth chapter. Now, this is a time when you concentrate those of you that are new, this doesn't matter because once you get a hold of this, this in itself, start with next week, is in itself incredibly life-changing. I know it will just touch your heart and change your life. And Mark, the fourth chapter, all the things we're going to speak in this week and next week is all the words of Jesus. Jesus is making some powerful statements. Statements that are beyond our natural man. And I pray that the Spirit of God caused them to be illuminated on the inside of you as he illuminated them on the inside of me. So that you can see the importance of your job on this earth as a Christian. 
Because without it, we're nothing but a group of people gathering, singing songs, taking up offerings, and going home. Instead of changing the world that I believe God wants us to change. And it's going to take all of us to do such a thing. I'm going to start in verse, if you will, verse number three of the fourth chapter of Mark. Red letters, it says, Jesus is speaking, listen, behold. Just the facts that he says, listen, behold means pay attention. Behold means be in awe. Listen to what's going on. I want you to get this. But he says something that you really can't fully grasp. And then he comes back later in the chapter and explains it so that you can grasp it. And he talks very importantly about people. He says, listen, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of the earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell, verse 7, among the thorns. And the thorns grew up and it choked it and yielded no crop. And verse number 8 comes along and says, But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up and increased and produced some 30 and some 60 and some hundredfold. And it's such an interesting words of Jesus and so powerful that's being said. But when you read that, for most people, let's be honest, I don't have an idea what he's talking about. That could be anything. That is totally, but he's going to make a way for us to understand it. He says these words in verse number nine. I'll just pop it up for you in verse number nine. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I'll come back these next couple of verses, but I want to take you to the explanation of what he is saying, which is so powerful for us to understand because we need the insight, don't we, of what he is really saying. So he makes a statement starting in verse number 13. He says this, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Can I just be honest with all of us? We don't understand the parable. If it was by itself, you and I would not fully understand it. We would be guessing about it or anything. But now we're going to learn exactly what the parable means. And he says this, do you not understand this parable? And how then will you understand all the parables? This is the most important of all of them is what he's really trying to say. If you don't get this, you're not going to get any of it. And then he comes along, verse 14. The sower sows the word. And he says these words. The sower sows the word. And verse number 15. He says these words. And these are the ones by the wayside 
where the word is sown, when he heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. So immediately we see the first one coming along, the word of God was sown on the inside of them and immediately we see that it is removed from them before they ever got anything going, had any problems at all. It was immediately taken in verse number 15. In verse number 16, uh, 16 it says, and these liken, in other words, just like it, the sower sowed the word, we got the word of God, are the ones sown in stony ground that when they heard the word, immediately received it with gladness, verse number 17, and they have no root in themselves and endured um, for a small time afterwards, they had tribulation or persecution rise for the word's sake, immediately they stumbled. And these are the ones sown among the thorns. And that the thorns, they heard the word of God. And the cares of this world were deceitful riches and desires for um, the things that entered in and choked the word that became unfruitful. And it says this, but these are the ones sown on good ground where they hear the word, accepted it, and bear fruit among them, some 30, some 60, some hundredfold. So here we see that the word of God is coming along in this powerful way of understanding. And it's so great for us to see because this is the change that takes place that explains this parable. What takes place here is, is that the word of God is sown in four areas. The first area, if you'll see it taking place, number one, in verse number 15, these are the ones by the wayside. When the word was sown, when they hear it, Satan comes immediately and takes the word that was sown in their heart. Is, do you understand that? They got the word, Satan comes immediately, takes it away. Boom, gone. These guys are the ones that when they heard the word of God, something else came into their life. Something else just, just took it away. They didn't have time to digest it. They didn't have time to apply it. They didn't have time to think about it. They're gone. Immediately, they allowed something to come in and rob the truth of what was being say, spoken to them. Verse number 16, number two. These likewise are the ones sown in stony grounds who when they heard the word, immediately received it with gladness. So when they heard the word, they received it with gladness. Man, they, they heard it. They said, wow, that's for me. That I like it. This is the second type of person that he's describing. He says they received it with gladness. And they had no root, in verse number 17, in themselves. And so endure only for a time. Afterwards, when tribulation and persecutions arise for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now he goes on in verse number 18, we see, start to see the difference now. Here's the third category of person, person number 18. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. And they are the ones who hear the word and the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, desires of other things, enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Three different types of people who basically fail. I believe the first type that comes along and Satan comes immediately and takes them, there's nothing you can do about it. They're just going to hear it, turn off on it, and walk away from it. But the other two are two that are valuable. They at least hear it, 
they receive it, they heard the word of God, they want to respond to it. Very important. And so we find that we see those that are likewise, that are on stony ground, but they hear the word and immediately receive it with gladness. But they had no root. So someone needs to have a root so that when things come their way, they can keep on going with the things of God. Verse number 17, in themselves, endure only for a time, but if they had root, they would endure a lot longer. That's the difference between you and the people that hear this that don't get anything. They're not, they don't have the root that you had. You stayed longer. And a lot of times people don't understand. There's four different types of people here that are receiving the word of God as he's describing it. There's those that immediately say, I don't want any part of this. Their mind gets off of what they heard. That's not for them. They're gone. The next one comes along, man, they've got some root inside of them. They're lasting for a little while. And then the third type comes along, we find in verse number 18, when these are the ones sown uh, among thorns, but that are there and who hear the word of God and the cares of the world come in, the desires of other things enter in and choke out the word. So they weren't prepared because all the stuff from the outside comes in and gets them off of the things of God. So when someone gets saved, they walk down the aisle and they give their heart and life to Jesus Christ, but all kinds of things are gonna take place. Some are gonna be choked out by the ways of the world. Some are gonna be choked out by uh, situations in their life, the pressures of life that come, keep them away from the things of God. And you and I have got to go after them right in that period of time. The fourth category is someone who hears the word and rejoices and then does something with it, producing 30, 60, 100 fold return. So here we see that there's a great return for those that hear the word of God and understand it and stay with the word of God. So most people in churches nowadays are taught this is the way life is. It's not the way life is. And that's what we've got to get out of our mind. If we don't try to go after those people that had made a commitment and really understand them that the pressures they're going to go through and qualify them and take care of them, we're going to lose them. And that's what we've done for years. We've only thought that we can just get the fourth category. That's the ones that, you know, are going to get saved. They're going to be in the family of God. They realize that they're going to produce, you know, all the proper amounts of production. But the others are just as important. We just have to go after them. Now, someone says, well, you know, pastor, I heard this so many times. There's four different categories of hearts that are receiving the word of God. The one that just receives it quickly and then turns off and says, forget it, you know, and Satan comes in immediately and stops that. But the one that has problems, you know, he stays around for a little while, but then the pressures get to him and it runs him off too. And then the third one, same thing, pressures come in and rob him also, and he's gone. And the only one that's good is the fourth one. And we build our churches on the fourth category that he's describing right here. Here's the problem with all of that. It doesn't really say that. It goes back and tells us the verses right before that, that there is a method that God has to get these people right with him. Let's go back, if you will. Same chapter, but let's go back to these earlier verses. And let's start in verse number 11. 
And he says to them, to you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. He's now talking to some disciples and some people that have come to him and said, I don't understand that first parable that you gave us. I don't understand it at all. And he comes and he says, to you, you're to understand the mysteries of God. It's been given to you to understand these mysteries. He says, know the mysteries of God. But to those who are on the outside, all things become come in a parable. The well, question I have is this word, which in verse number 11, it says this. To you it has been given. Have you ever thought about what's been given? God said to the world, I give myself. He didn't give to a certain class of people. He gave himself to the world. And the world has an opportunity. Will everybody respond? No. But I think if we work as a church to try to get more people to respond, it's going to make a difference. Also, we find this that is so important for us. He says, to those that are on the outside, he says these things, but to those that are on the outside, all things become a parable. Well, how did they get to the outside? They made the wrong choice. We have to help them to make the right choice. Now watch this. In verse number, in verse number 12, he gives us insight. So that seeing they may see and not perceive. Why? Because they're on the outside. Why? Because they're people that are not there, but they could be there, but they've chosen not to be there. He says, seeing that they don't see and hearing that they may not hear and understand. Least they should turn. Man, if anything tells us anything, least they shall turn tells us there's a possibility that they could turn. So God's not saying this is the formula, you know, 25% aren't going to make it, 50% of the 20, 50% aren't going to make it, are, are going to make it. He's not telling us this formula. What he's trying to tell us is that there is an opportunity for us to get in there and train their hearts so they could be right with God. And that's what this is all about. Least they should turn. And I love this, and hearing they may hear and not understand. Least they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. It's exactly what Isaiah says, that their sins may be turned, that they may be healed in Isaiah, the sixth chapter. He makes that statement. A lot of times we just don't see the importance of what God is really asking us to do. And so here we see the parable of the sowers and we see the parable of the four types of soil and we think immediately there's only one type that's going to work when in fact there's three types that work. I don't believe the first one who immediately is, is taken away really had. That's a guy that sits in a church service, hears an altar call and all of a sudden, bang, he turns off immediately and starts thinking of something else other than God doesn't want anything to do with God. Man, he's not saved. He might raise his hand because his neighbor told him to raise his hand, but he's really not saved. And we see a lot of that. But there's the other people that come along and immediately they receive the word of God. Immediately God, but there are things that are going to come at them. 
and things that are going to stop them, pressures that are going to come into their life and try to hinder them from going forward. And that's where we as spiritual personal trainers get into this spot and we help them to see that before it ever happens so they can get through it and keep on going with God. And that, without an attitude of that, what we're doing is giving up before we ever start. I talked to one pastor and he says, well, but you know, the Bible says there's four different types of ground and there are only one type of ground that's going to come back to church. Who says that? He just tells us of the problem. He didn't say it can't be changed. He didn't say that we couldn't get in and cover. He tells us what their problems are. Why can't we get in there and make the change? We can make the change. Is anybody listening? Because that's the whole point of this. Now, Quickly, I want to go with you, and I want to take you to another verse, if I may, that I find very important. In Mark, the uh, let's take a look at this. In Mark, oh, let's see here. I'm going to get my notes straightened out here a little bit, if I may. And um, in Luke, the sixth chapter. Let's go there, Luke, the sixth chapter. In Luke, the sixth chapter, it takes it a little bit further. For all of us to understand, this is where it starts to get really important in verse 43 of the sixth chapter of Luke. And now he starts to describe what it's going to take for those people to come to Jesus. And this is where I really wanted to go tonight. That was just setting a foundation of the different soils of the heart and how we can not just give up on them, but we can go forward with them. But here in Luke, the sixth chapter, in verse 43, it says, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit. Stop right there. A good tree is a godly tree. Uh, you got to get that because it's not just a good, according to our social society, when God says good, he's referring to Jesus, a godly tree. And he says, can't bear, watch this, bad fruit. Man, that means a godly person isn't going to bear, they might bear bad fruit for a while, but they're going to repent and change. Have you ever screwed up after you got saved? And you said, wow, I hate that, man. Why did I do that? Why did I do that? Because guess what? We're all been there. Or maybe you're not where you need to be yet, and you're still doing a lot of stuff from the past. Guess what? We hate that, don't we? And we're going to get there because we're going to, but he says these words that are powerful. A good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. And then he comes along and he makes a statement. For every tree is known by its own fruit. Stop right there. Every tree is known. He's talking about trees. He's talking about a parable. He's talking about an understanding that we need to see. Every tree, I like this. He says these words, every tree is known by its own fruit. In other words, if you have an orange tree, you don't just look at the leaves because a grapefruit tree and orange tree have similar leaves. But the fruit tells you whether it's a grapefruit or an orange. You understand what I'm saying to you? So every tree is defined by what it produces, not defined by what it looks like, but by what it produces. Is anybody getting that? Okay, he comes along. He says, every tree is known by its own fruit. For men, now he stops the tree stuff and he starts talking about men. Kind of interesting. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from bramble bushes. In other words, men, what is going to be produced is produced because that's what they are. 
And then he says this, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of heart brings forth evil. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Powerful. Verse number 45 is absolutely, incredibly one of the most powerful verses that we're going to be talking about next week. It even gets better. But listen closely. Verse number 45. A good man, not a tree anymore, out of the good treasure of his heart. Now stop and think about what in the world is the good treasure of his heart? He produces, watch this, a good treasure heart brings forth good. What's good? None good but God. Brings forth godly stuff. So a good man out of the good treasure. So all of a sudden he's talking about a subject we never talked about before. The treasure that's in our heart. The treasure in our heart is what produces what it is that we are. Just like the tree that's a fruit tree produces what that fruit tree is. Uh, an almond tree doesn't produce a grape. And so the almond tree produces almonds. Uh, the, the grapefruit tree produces grapefruit. The lemon tree produces lemons. So every tree produces according to what it produces. And it says a good man out of the treasure of his heart. Now these words, treasure of his heart, are really powerful. It's the first time we see that in the scripture, out of the treasure of his heart. Now if I was to ask you, what should be the treasure of a good man's heart, every one of you would have probably the same answer to that. But I'm here to tell you something, most of you would be wrong. I'm going to show you something next week that's going to show you what that treasure really is. Brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. What's evil? Anything contrary to the ways of God. Doesn't mean it's not acceptable by society. Doesn't mean the social systems don't agree to it. Doesn't mean the politicians and the, you know, our political system doesn't say this is the way. Anything that's not acceptable to God is evil. For an example, God says abortion is wrong, but guess what? Our government says it's right. You tell me who's right and who's wrong. See, you're going to have to understand something here, that there is a truth being expressed here. And he says, a good man, godly man, out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. An evil man, or an e out of the evil treasure of his heart, produces that which is contrary to God. Is that not true? Then he comes along and he makes this statement here. He says this, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now here's the deal. The mouth speaks really means the life expresses. It is not just words, but your whole life expresses it. It's how you live your life. So out of the abundance of the heart, you will be known by how you live your life. Whether you are a person that's producing the fruit of God, because a good man produces good out of the treasure of his heart, but an evil man produces evil, contrary to the ways of God, even though it may be acceptable to our society and social system, to the ways of God. It's an evil. And he comes along and he makes this statement, out of the abundance of the heart, the life speaks. 
And that's so important for us to see that verse number 45, because these words, good treasure, is like so important for us to see. While you're there, I'm going to just take you to hold your place there in, in, um, in Luke 6. And I'm going to take you to Matthew 6, verse 21, and just put it up for you. Matthew 6, verse number 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So all of a sudden, now this whole thing starts to unveil. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. One more time. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So, so many people have their treasures in their house, have their treasures in their jobs, have their treasures in their bank accounts, have the Christians that have their treasures in their existence, in their lifestyles. Their treasure is in their, their you know, their education. Their treasure is in, and, and they have, uh, but where your heart is, is where your treasure is. So God only has to look at our hearts to see really where our treasure is. And out of our good heart comes a godly treasure. But out of an evil heart comes a heart that's contrary to the ways of the Lord. So you have people proclaiming to be Christians that are still doing life that wrong way. Guess what? Can I tell you something? Not Christians at all. And somebody needs you to say it like it is. We're going to prove that to you deeply next week in massive amounts. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. So my treasure is in the treasure that God is talking about, which I asked you, what is that treasure of your heart? And I will explain what it is. May I say this to you? Most of you said, about 90% of you tonight, if I asked you this question, what's the treasure of your heart? You would say Jesus. You know it, and let's be honest. That's what you would say. It's not true. And that's the thing that tore me up when I got into this and found out what the treasure must be, as Jesus talks about. We'll talk about it next week. But let's go back, if you will, from that to verse number 46 in the Bible. Let's go there and take a look. Go back, if you will, Luke 46. It says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? And so why? Because the treasure of their heart is all screwed up. So my job is to find a people that will have the treasure of their heart want to change to what God will have said to be. God defines for us, and I'll explain to you next week, what the treasure ought to be of our hearts. And so, like I said, it's Jesus. It's not and so he comes along. He says, but you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do that which I say? So the title of this message is, you remember what we said what it was? So you call me Lord. Next week, we'll really get into it a lot. So you call me Lord. And a lot of people call him Lord when he's really not the Lord of their life at all because the treasure of their heart defines whether or not they're Lord or not Lord. Let's go back, if you can, verse number 46. Let's take a look at it real quick. Whoever, verse number said, Lord, Lord, and do not which I say. How is it in the world that you call me Lord, but you live your own life? Come on. 
Is anybody listening? How is it you call me Lord, Lord? And boy, next week we really get into this because it really explodes next week. We're just setting a foundation tonight. How is it you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Why? Because out of the evil treasures of their heart, they do the wrong thing. But a good man out of the good treasure of his heart. Man, is that powerful. Now, let's take a look. 48, 47, I mean. Whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show you whom he's like. And he comes along and he makes this statement. So here he comes along and he starts to define somebody who does what he says. What he says. And he comes along and he says, he is like a man building his house and digs deep and lays the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the uh, streams beat permanently against the house, it cannot shake it for it was founded on the rock, which was the words of Jesus. But in verse number 49, he says this, but he who heard and did nothing kept on living their life. But he that heard and did nothing is like a man who builds his house on the earth without a foundation against which the, the streams beat permanently. Uh, immediately it fell. And these words are beyond understanding because I'm going to get into them next week. Is this, and the ruin of the house was great. How great was it? Total destruction. Don't make it to heaven. And that's a shock. And what you're going to get into next week is going to shock you. But it's going to build you stronger than you've ever been built before. I believe in you. That's why I'm here. I believe I can teach you the depth of what's being said and you understand it. I believe in you. Most churches won't teach you the depth. They play with you just so you'll come. I believe in you and the depth that you can understand it and be what God. I don't want you to ever say, I went to the Rock Church or World Outreach Center and they never taught me that. Boy, that would be on us. He comes along and he says these words. Questions I leave you with tonight are two. One, what is the treasure of the heart? And two, what is the fruit that he's requiring a good tree or a good person out of his treasure to produce? Those are powerful. Just think about them. Powerful words. And I'm finished for tonight. Is that okay? I am really finished for tonight. My goodness, the time just blew by. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.